Hello, friends. Welcome. So happy you're here with me today. And we are going to switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about first ladies and the many people who were closely acquainted in a variety of ways with the founding fathers. But what did the rest of the country know about the events and actions happening in the capital city? Where did they get their news? It should come as no surprise to you that political bias and tabloid sensationalism in American media grew right alongside the new nation. It is not new. You cannot be like, well, cable news has wrecked it up. Mm -mm." Keep listening because here's where it gets interesting. I'm Sharon McMahon and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. First, Let me start by saying that sensational journalism and criticizing the government in print was not new and not unique to the United States, right? As long as there have been people in power, there have been people writing about people in power. In fact, one of the most well-known political journalists in the years following the Revolutionary War was a Scottish man by the name of James Callender, who was forced to flee Scotland after putting the British government on blast. James Callender was born in 1758, and he did not have any sort of formal education, but was taught to read and write when he was a boy. He secured an early job in Edinburgh as a clerk working in the city's office that filed land deeds. And he was a bit of a pot stirrer from the very beginning. And he began publishing anonymous satirical pieces on prominent British leaders and thinkers like writer Samuel Johnson, who was an outspoken member of the British Conservative Party. Scotland had been an independent political entity until 1707, when it was unified with the Kingdom of Great Britain. Callender's writings were popular with the Scottish, many of whom retained their pride in Scottish nationalism. He was a champion of the little guy and regularly wrote scathing pamphlets about the wealthy and the powerful. Turns out that didn't sit well with his employers. (laughs) He was fired from his position when he was in his early 30s. 
He was supported financially by a few Scottish noblemen who were fans of his work. And in 1792, he published The Political Progress of Britain, which was a critique of war, imperialism, taxes, and government corruption. Do any of these topics still resonate today? (laughs) King George was not impressed. Calendar was still publishing anonymously, but now that he had patrons, his identity was not safe. He fled to Ireland for a short time and then boarded a ship bound for the United States to avoid persecution and arrest for sedition. When he arrived in Philadelphia in 1793, the Revolutionary War had been won. The Constitution had been written, the Bill of Rights had been passed, and George Washington was already serving his term as president. James quickly found himself in the epicenter of American politics. He took a job as a congressional reporter. At the time, Congress did not have regular official stenographers to record or transcribe their proceedings. There was no C-SPAN in 1793. Instead, reporters were hired by several different newspapers, and they would use their own individual versions of shorthand to write down what they heard in congressional sessions. This would often lead to accidental or sometimes purposeful inaccuracies printed in the newspapers. Calendar was a fast writer with a knack for precision. And somewhat diabolically, he enjoyed recording the more, shall we say, off-the-cuff comments that some members of Congress would make during session. And he would share everything with readers, even the nonsense. He had strong opinions about politics and a platform with which to champion the members he agreed with and diminish the politicians he disagreed with. Y'all, nothing is new under the sun. In 1795, he published a compilation of his recordings of the congressional debates over a period of two years. And guess what? It did not sit well with either political party, neither the Federalists nor the Democratic Republicans. So let's recap about how these parties started and what they represented. If you have seen the show Hamilton, you know that Hamilton and Jefferson did not particularly get along well. They both started out as advisors to George Washington, and Washington famously warned Americans in his farewell address that the formation of political parties would be to the detriment of a well-functioning government. He said, while political parties may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Mm. That is not a lie. (laughs) And even though he said that, politicians and the people begin to fall into two camps, with many supporting the politics of people like Alexander Hamilton and John Adams, who went on to become leaders of the Federalist Party, and others agreeing with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who led the Democratic-Republicans. 
the Federalist Party under Hamilton believed in the need for a strong central government. They thought it would protect the freedoms that they had fought for in the American Revolution and called for the creation of a national bank to increase the government's control over the economy. By contrast, the Democratic-Republicans placed importance on protecting individual rights and freedoms. They wanted the federal government to take a smaller role, leaving much of the nation's governance up to the states. And in January of 1796, Congress considered replacing the newspaper reporters with an official stenographer. But they didn't exactly get around to following through with their plan until a number of years later. But James Callender's employer fired him anyway. Callender always had someone willing to publish his work. Historian Eric Burns writes that the golden age of America's founding was also the gutter age of American reporting. Newspapers were all partisan and published vicious things about their party opponents. Reporters and editors would shout curses at each other in the streets and liberally use words like depraved, worthless, vile, and wicked to describe their enemies. They make today's media look tame by comparison in many ways. And Calder was no exception. He wrote scathing pieces that criticized the elements of the U.S. Constitution that he thought were undemocratic, like the Electoral College. He wrote that the Senate was unrepresentative because it was not directly elected by the people. People did not start directly electing their senators for some time later. He even went after George Washington, saying that he had debauched and deceived the nation by promoting himself as a popular idol. He was a fierce advocate of the free press. He said, the more that a nation knows about the mode of conducting its business, the better chance has that business of being properly conducted. In other words, the more the people know about how business is done, the better chance we have of that business being done well. He thought that people had a right to hold their leaders accountable and that the press was the perfect conduit for political transparency. I have said this many times. As much as people like to criticize the media today, a free press is absolutely integral to a democracy. We would be nothing without it. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast, and I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? Guess what? You can. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best instructors. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes. You can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible. And then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon. Masterclass.com slash Sharon. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress in our life. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. It's just part of the human experience. But some of us have more than others, and some of us handle it better than others. Some of us really keep it bottled up, and it can start to affect us negatively. I would imagine at some point in your life, you can relate to this, right? And therapy is a safe space to be able to get some of these things off your chest. And that is why so many people find benefit in speaking to a qualified professional. If you're thinking about starting therapy for something like managing your stress, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sharon. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up by the door of your house and then when people come over they're like um your house smells weird there's a solution for that and it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant it is taking care of the smell at the source by using lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet it is a whole body deodorant it is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code SHARON. As Callender's career took off, his writing started to grow increasingly partisan. He considered himself a supporter of the Democratic Republican Party and began writing some seriously savage attacks on prominent members of the Federalists, including both Adams and Hamilton. By now, George Washington had retired back to Mount Vernon and John Adams had started his term as president. John Adams was a Federalist and faced strong opposition from Thomas Jefferson. We've talked a little about how Adams and Jefferson enjoyed a close relationship at first, and then that soured when Jefferson began undermining Adams's political decisions while he was in office. And then, of course, Jefferson ran against Adams in the election of 1800. Jefferson was acquainted with James Callender. He had read some of his work against the British government and found the writer to be sharp-witted and cunning. When Jefferson learned that one of the pieces Callender was writing was an expose on Alexander Hamilton, he ponied up some of his own money to make sure it was finished and published. 
he saw the value in smearing the reputation of his biggest political opponent. And if you've seen Hamilton, you know what's coming next. The story was called A History of the United States for the year 1796 and was published in several installments in the early summer of 1797. Calendar exposed the affair between married Alexander Hamilton and an also-married woman named Mariah Reynolds. The work also alleged that Hamilton was financially corrupt because he was working with Mariah's husband, James. In August, Hamilton did damage control. He published his own pamphlet in response, what we now know as the Reynolds pamphlet. And in it, he did, however confessed to the adultery and state that he had been paying James Reynolds to keep quiet about the affair. Calendar insisted that Hamilton's blackmail story was just a smokescreen for larger financial corruption, but the accusations were never proven. Interesting, right? Wildly unproven accusations about the other side's corruption? What? That's not new. (laughs) (laughs) But the damage had been done. The country could not get enough of this type of scandal. Hamilton's reputation was badly tarnished. While he may have proven that he was not involved in speculation alongside Reynolds, he did so by embarrassing his wife. He continued to be an influential Federalist and work in high-profile roles under the Adams presidency, but his own presidential aspirations never came to fruition. The public was not quick to forget his scandals. Callender's attacks on Hamilton paled in comparison to the deluge of published insults that he directed at President John Adams. In 1799, Callender was working on a new pamphlet called The Prospects Before Us. He was being bankrolled by Jefferson and accused the president of planning to crown himself king and groom his son, John Quincy, to be the heir to his throne. Oh, look, one political rival paying the media to print scandalous information about his opponent. Calendar attacked Adams, saying, among many other things, that the president has neither the force of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Unfortunately for Calendar, John Adams did not let his slander slide. He was prosecuted under the new Sedition Act that made it a crime for American citizens to print, utter, or publish false, scandalous, and malicious writing about the government. So let me say that again. The Sedition Act made it a crime for Americans to even talk about criticizing the government. You could not print, utter, or publish false, scandalous, and malicious writing about the government. And in essence, what the Sedition Act was doing was prohibiting public opposition to the government. You could be fined, you could be imprisoned if you were found to be in violation of this law. And under this law, over 20 Democratic Republican newspaper editors were arrested and some were imprisoned. Imagine that today, my friends. Imagine the federal government arresting 20 
Fox and CNN reporters putting them on trial for saying mean things about people in the government and then imprisoning some of them. That is exactly what happened at the turn of the 19th century. The most dramatic representation of this was in an episode that we previously released about the state of Vermont, and it tells the story about Representative Matthew Lyon, who wrote a letter criticizing President Adams. And in this letter, he said that Adams had an unbounded thirst for ridiculous pomp, foolish adulation, and self-avarice. And he was sentenced to nine months in prison. And famously, while he was in prison, his constituents re-elected him to Congress while he was in jail. Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week. And it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines, you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try OneSkin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code SHARON. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Callender's written work against the Federalists had cast some serious doubts on the Adams presidency, and it likely helped secure Thomas Jefferson's victory in the election of 1800. Of course, I've spoken about the election of 1800 before, in which Aaron Burr is elected vice president, and John Adams comes in third in the contest. When Jefferson took office, he immediately pardoned Calendar. And once he got out of jail, Calendar expected that President Jefferson would reward him for his work and his loyalty. He wanted the job of port collector for Richmond, Virginia, but he didn't get it. And when he wrote Jefferson to ask him for money to fund a new newspaper, he said in the letter, For the cause I have lost five years of labor, gained 5,000 enemies, got my name inserted in 500 libels. I mention these particulars as this is probably the close of my correspondence with you, that you may not suppose that I at least have anything by their victories of republicanism. But Jefferson did not write back. Because Jefferson now had a problem. Calendar's scathing reporting benefited the Democratic-Republican Party during a competitive election, but not so much once Jefferson secured the presidency. In fact, once John Adams left office and Alexander Hamilton was killed by Aaron Burr, there were no more Federalists left. They died off and the Democratic-Republicans became the only game in town for a period of time. So Jefferson recognized the need to separate himself from Calendar, who had this very radical reputation. Jefferson stopped financially supporting Calendar and distanced himself from the man even as the scandal broke that Jefferson had been paying him to write about his political enemies. Jefferson wrote in a letter to James Monroe at the time saying, I am really mortified at the base ingratitude of Calendar. He presents human nature in a hideous form. He tried to publicly pass off his relationship with Calendar as nothing more than a charity case. One newspaper called the Aurora went so far as to turn the tables on Calendar, publishing a sensationalized story and insinuating that while Calendar's wife had been dying of syphilis and their children were starving, he had been having his usual pint of brandy at breakfast. James Calendar, once again, took to his pen for revenge. It was Calendar who broke the scandalous news that Jefferson had several illegitimate children with the enslaved Sally Hemings. In his article, he wrote, It is well known that the man whom it delighteth the public to honor keeps and for many years past has kept as his concubine one of his slaves. Her name 
is Sally. The name of their eldest son is Tom. His features are said to bear a striking, although sable, resemblance to the president himself. By this woman, Sally, our president, had several children. She is said to officiate as a housekeeper at Monticello. The story did not destroy Jefferson or his career as Calendar hoped that it would. He was too popular, and the accusation that he had fathered Sally's children could only be speculated upon and not proved. They didn't have DNA tests. They didn't have any way to verify such things. Jefferson's public image and reputation was also saved in part by another journalist, a gossip column writer named Margaret Bayard Smith. At 22, a young Margaret Hodge, the daughter of a respected Pennsylvania mayor, married Samuel Harrison Smith, who was a well-connected journalist. So well-connected that he was asked by President Thomas Jefferson to move to Washington, D.C. to start a newspaper, The Daily Intelligencer. Margaret had been educated at a boarding school as a girl and was a talented writer. As she accompanied her husband to dinners and events with the social elite of Washington, she began to quietly observe what she saw. She raised three children at home, but also began testing the waters of a writing career by publishing small, anonymous articles in her husband's newspaper. She did this strategically, writing fluffy stuff that was considered appropriate for women But she began name-dropping along the way. She added descriptions about politicians' homes and weaved in details about high-profile social events. Soon, the public was eating up her words. They wanted more reports on high society, and Margaret was happy to oblige. She wrote about the who's who of D.C., sparing no detail about their personalities and her thoughts on their manners, their dress, and even their political actions. Emboldened by her success, she even began publishing under her own name. Good heavens, a woman writing a newspaper article. (laughs) So it was Margaret who reassured the public that President Jefferson, even amid scandal, was a stalwart and trustworthy leader. She wrote, And is this, said I, after my first interview with Mr. Jefferson, the violent Democrat, the vulgar demagogue, the bold atheist and profligate man I have so often heard denounced by the Federalists? Can this man so meek and mild, yet dignified in his manners, with a voice so soft and low, with a countenance so intelligent, Can he be that daring leader of a fraction, the disturber of the peace, that enemy of all rank and order? In other words, she was saying, he's so nice, he's so quiet, he's so sweet, he's so kind. He absolutely cannot be what you make him out to be. Margaret, of course, had a picture to paint like any other journalist of her time. She enjoyed unlimited access to the Capitol's inner city for only as long as she wrote positive things about them. She relied on her reputation as a harmless busybody and social butterfly to get close to the people that she wrote about. Her writing played an undeniably important role in shaping the way the public viewed politicians. While Calendar and other expose-producing journalists were working toward the destruction of each other, Margaret knew the value of a united nation. She knew that the citizens of the young country needed stability in their leadership, and she used her writing skills to give them reasons to trust their government. 
Margaret, by the way, met First Lady Dolly Madison during a dinner at the White House while Jefferson was in office. She liked both James and Dolly immediately, and the ever-agreeable Dolly shared a similar fondness for Margaret. The two women became lifelong friends and allies. They exchanged novels with each other, sent each other little trinkets of affection, and wrote back and forth about the political news of the week. Once James Callender failed in his attempt to ruin Jefferson's career, he hit rock bottom. Always a heavy drinker, he began hitting the bottle even harder, and he severed ties with many of his newspaper partners and financial supporters. Callender was reported to have been seen stumbling around drunk on the morning of July 17, 1803. And later that day, his body was pulled from the James River in Richmond, Virginia. He had fallen into three feet of water and was too inebriated to lift himself out of it. Although he had only spent 12 years in the United States before his death, a critic gave James Callender the title of the most outrageous and wretched scandalmonger of a scurrilous age. He wasn't the first scandalmonger to use his pen to expose and discredit politicians. And where he left off, others picked up. Margaret, in contrast, would end to enjoy much fame. In the 1820s, she published two books under her real name and became one of the most effective writers of her time. In a posthumously published memoir, Margaret posed the question, A man's sphere is unlimited, but I'm a woman. And society says, Thus far and no further shall thou come. Why, then, has nature given me a mind so active and inquiring? That is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you were able to join me today. And hopefully this sheds some light on the partisan nature of the press that has always been in the United States and forever shall be. For better or for worse. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.